time to check in with infectious disease specialist and professor at Florida International University, Dr. Eileen Marty. Dr. Marty, good morning. A headline caught my eye the other day. There are at least 500 coronaviruses. We must develop next generation vaccines now, say the experts. Is, is that what you're working on? Is that what you are researching these days? I'm not working right now on trying to make another type of vaccine, but I'm certainly monitoring what's happening and um, and working on trying to see if we can come up with better monoclonals because right now we're out of monoclonal treatments. And in fact, um, but the good news is that even though, yes, Omicron continues to spread and um, because the reason it continues to spread is that the new variants are able to escape some levels of protection. Uh, really, right now, we're no longer in a in a public health emergency from uh, from COVID nineteen, and the antivirals continue to work. They continue to be effective, and so uh, the fact that we have things like remdesivir and and um, and Paxlovid for the appropriate patients has made a huge difference in terms of hospitalizations, severe disease, and death, which is what these these measures are intended for. Seems to me that the big problem is long COVID right now and how to treat it and what the effects are. Do we know any more about it now than we did a year ago? Yeah, we continue to have more and more information as to how ha- uh, prolonged low-level infection, which is mostly the reason for long COVID, although some people do have post-infectious inflammatory types of, in other words, a post-infectious uh, reaction because of their how their immune system manage the virus and that's a different category so we have to the first thing we do is we categorize when somebody has long COVID symptoms why they're having it and so then you you approach it from that angle if they're having it because they have residual virus then you want to consider some type of um, method to reduce that viral load if possible, or if they're having it because of it's, a, it's an inflammatory problem, it's a it's a post-infectious um, uh, sort of sort of an autoimmune type of reaction. Then we use uh, medications that help alleviate those problems, and that's 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 a, a very simplified way of thinking about it. But that is what we're looking at right now. Um, in terms of long COVID, we absolutely know that the use of, again, some of these antivirals has reduced it, and people who are up to date on their vaccinations have a much lower risk of developing long COVID when, when they get infected. As you know, we're going to be hearing a lot about uh, the Congress looking into the origins of COVID in the coming weeks and months. Uh, do we know for sure how this started well, the evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of a, um, a series of spillovers. We're, we're, we've been now looking much more um, critically at how viruses and different pathogens um, go from host to host. And one of the really interesting studies, Bob, is um, there were a series of um, swabs that were taken on patients randomly uh, whenever they showed up 
trying to look for what kinds of viruses they have, right? So they were just simply taking nasal samples and uh, and looking for things we don't normally look for. And um, and those were just collected. And in a retrospective study, it was found that there were uh, many uh, you know, individual instances of small groups having what were, what are considered zoonotic coronaviruses, viruses that and this and this study was back from the twenty twenty started in twenty seventeen. So this is not anything new or, or anything done because of SARS CoV two, right? But it turns out that the, these these spillovers happen sporadically and randomly all the time uh, when people get up close and personal to um, animals that are carrying an, a, a disease that has the ability to get into a person. Now, whether that in turn leads to a new outbreak, right, it, it's the, the virus coming out and becoming a pandemic, um, yet generally it does not happen because those viruses are not well adapted to humans. But if it happens repeatedly, and that's what we think happened with SARS-CoV-2, that there were a number of these sporadic little outbreaks, and some of those chains of transmission led to a SARS-CoV-2, to what is now SARS-CoV-2. In other words, a virus that was well adapted to the new host, in other words, humans, and that that's the most likely way in which... um, um, this entire nightmare for everyone mm-hmm. uh, happened. Sort of a, a really thing that that there are still people who argue the lab theory and all these other ideas, and um, you, you can never a hundred percent say that. Of course, yeah, it is possible that somebody working in a lab accidentally uh, with one of these pathogens that sporadically did that, that person might have gotten infected and helped contribute to the outbreak. But the overwhelming data is that this was a natural event. And that, that makes me think of an article I just read about the the bird flu. Uh, other than the price of eggs going up, uh, apparently <laughs> some some scientists uh, are a little worried about uh, about this. And I know I'm going to uh, get emails and texts uh, saying stop scaring us, but I'm sure you're keeping an eye on the bird flu too these days, aren't you? Sure. I mean, I've actually been interested in highly pathogenic um, influenza viruses for many years. Um, I don't know if you know that, you know, that I I had the privilege of of, um, uh, being trained at Plum Island as an animal disease diagnostician of all the crazy things. Hmm. And um, and so... uh, the, this is an H5N1, and that is one of the highly pathogenic types of viruses. And we use that phrase, really the veterinarians use that phrase, for um, the types of influenza viruses that kill a lot of um, of poultry, right? Mm-hmm. The one that's circulating right now is, um, it is a, uh, has a clad, and we call it clad, 2.3.4.4b. So just as just as uh, crazy a nomenclature as we're used to from um, from the uh, SARS virus, and we've had more than 53 million 
poultry affected in the United States and detected it in wild birds, and we've detected it sporadically in uh, in all kinds of uh, mammals. But uh, there's only been one human affected in the United States, and there's been a, a couple of other humans uh, in in the world affected. But and that's the important point. This is this goes back to what we were talking about with with COVID nineteen. If you get up close and personal to these viruses because you're a poultry worker or you're um, handling these birds for whatever reason, or you know you have you know chickens in the backyard and they get infected, that sort of thing. That's when you it's possible for a human to get infected. But right now, the clad that we're looking at has not adapted itself for easy human-to-human transmission. So for it to become Mm -hmm. a big old problem, just like COVID did, you've got to have a whole bunch of these sporadic cases, and then one virus gets lucky. (laughs) Well, just to be safe, just to be safe, though, I'm going to let uh, uh, Joe and Haley, our producers here in the morning, handle uh, the chickens that I keep in the studio so I can have a, a cheap <laughs> breakfast with my omelets. Uh, it's Dr. Eileen Marty. <laughs> Until next week, thank you, as always, Dr. Marty. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.